Hi, I'm Dr. Jillian Murphy, a naturopath, healthy-ish lifestyle architect, body joy seeker, and French fry activist. And you're listening to 100% healthy-ish. Here's the thing. As a naturopath and an intuitive eating health at every size health coach, I have seen every angle and end of the health conversation. And after years of clinical and coaching experience, I've developed a framework for feeling good and having fun that I know you're gonna love. To be healthy-ish, we move beyond the boring basics and consider some ish you have never thought of before when it comes to your health. Are you ready? It's gonna be fun. Let's go. Hi, welcome back to the podcast. Today we are, I feel like I just introduced that like a real radio show host. I don't know what came over me. Today we are talking about chronic illness. I think that this idea of healthy-ish is really compelling for people, but then there's this feeling of like, yeah, but what if you have diabetes or yeah, but what if you have high blood pressure or another kind of you know autoimmune chronic illness? Or what if there's a really serious health crisis? Can we be healthy-ish then? Is there any value to it? And sometimes there's even major resistance to it. So today I'm talking with Jillian Gortson. She's a body positive health coach, a certified intuitive eating counselor. She's currently doing a master's in counseling, and she's just an incredible person who really helps her clients ditch diets, diet programs and plans, and reclaim their authentic approach to health and fitness. And what's so interesting is that Jillian had a health crisis of her own. And so she has and is coming on the show today to talk about and show how she's using this very healthy-ish approach to managing this illness, this crisis that she had that led to the diagnosis of a chronic illness. Um, She reached out to me to say, I love this idea. I love that you're talking about this because there is this reality for someone dealing with a chronic illness that there might be things that they have to cut out of their diet, or there might be things that they can no longer participate in. And that could look like on the surface restriction. And on some level it is, but it's for a really justified reason. And I don't take that lightly. Even when there's a really good reason for restriction, we tend to have to do a ton of work around the purpose of it and how to make it healthy and flexible and pleasurable. But luckily enough, because Jillian had already done so much work in the intuitive eating space, she was prepared to manage the restrictions that she has to engage in, to be fluid and flexible and curious with this chronic illness of hers. And it's incredibly fun to get to talk about it with her. It's so interesting. So um, I just want to, if there's anything else I want to talk about, uh, I think that's it. I just want to remind everyone who's tuning in. I have a new Healthiest Starter Guide coming out in a couple of weeks. Um, a little bit behind. My new year got off to a slow start. So we have the holiday healthiest starter guide. And then I'm putting together a more general kind of like year round starter guide. And it'll be out in the next week or two. So stay tuned for that. Um, and coming up on Thursday, the podcast is all about culling and streamlining, like culling your supplement cabinet and streamlining your supplement regime. So stay tuned for that as well. All right, here we go in the conversation with Jillian. 
I am here today with Jillian Gertzen, and we are going to talk about a pretty phenomenal, I would say, health journey and what it looks like to be healthy-ish through the process. Mm -hmm. Because I think that there's a lot of like, oh yeah, healthy-ish is a great idea if everything's going swimmingly, right? And we'll get into it more, but um, I've worked with so many health conditions and healthy-ish is a really sustainable, incredible way to manage health conditions. So we're going to get into all of that in a minute, but Jillian, do you want to just like start us off and just tell us a little bit about who you are in general and like what you do in the world? Yeah, I uh, always, I feel compelled to say this. I don't know why today, because I, I don't usually start with this, but I would tell my clients this, I'm a human first. <laughs> I'm a human living yeah. in a body who's, who grew up in diet culture. And, you know, that has certainly informed the path I've taken. Yeah. And so because of that path and because of my own journey with disordered eating and eating disorder, feeling very uncomfortable in my body, experiencing a tremendous amount of bullying and shame around my body. Um, that led me on a path to become, uh, first to get my degree in kinesiology. I really wanted to understand my body. And I, and I think in retrospect, I really wanted to fix my body. And I saw that as a path to like figure out this body problem. <laughs> and yeah. uh, so that, that actually, that path led me, I thought it was gonna lead me to physiotherapy. That seemed like a good trajectory. Uh, and then actually where it landed me was falling in love with helping people land in their own version of health and fitness. And I've been working in health and fitness for 23 years and love it immensely. I spent 13 years working in corporate health and fitness. And so I kind of have a bit of a different skill set, I guess, because of that. And then about 10 years ago, I started my own business and now I work 100% as a coach from a body positive perspective, from a health at every size perspective. But, you know, what I love about what you do and where I feel like it so aligns is that I really land in this camp of healthy-ish. Like healthy is something you define for yourself as a person. Yeah. And so I love helping people figure that piece out. So Right, and like working toward yeah. health. Yeah. When health has been such a co-opted word and concept. Especially by fitness. Like I, I, I acknowledge that I work within an industry that is highly fat phobic and highly weight centric as a result. And so the work I do is often like an unraveling of the kind of, am I allowed to swear? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> the bullshit that people have been told about their bodies and then they've internalized. And that's, um, you know, part of what's led me to kind of the next step, step in my journey, which is that I'm currently finishing my master's in counseling psychology. And so I'm going to be a registered clinical counselor in the next eight months or so once I finish my practicum. So yeah, I'm just this integration of body mind, uh, not as two separate things, but as this integrated whole is something that really intrigues me as well. So that informs my work very much as well. Yeah. And so one of the reasons that I had you on today, you and I met Mm -hmm. and our, our visions align and the way that we work align, but I thought it would be so particularly interesting. I know you have a long history of things Mm -hmm. with your body. I do too, but to really hone in on this health situation that you've had Mm -hmm. to face more recently in your life, because again, kind of like I said, at the top of the episode, like 
there's this feeling that we couldn't possibly intuitively eat our way through a health condition or, or in the intuitive eating body positive world, I think that there's a lot of fear around using food intentionally and maybe yeah. making food choices to support our bodies and health, right? Like the, mm-hmm. this healthy issue is that beautiful middle ground of like, yeah. how do we be intuitive and intentional? How can we yeah. take information that we learn about our bodies and health yeah. and integrate it with non-diet practices? So right. I just want you to start by telling us a little bit about this yeah. really kind of incredible thing that you've had yeah. to do with. Yeah. So I, I thought I was doing everything right. I was, and I was, I, I was, I was listening to my body. I was landing in a place of, I would say intuitive ish eating Yeah, uh, it was pre-training. So I, once I got my training, I was like, oh yeah, there's system stuff as, as all intuitive eaters find There's always going to be stuff that you're like, oh, that there, there is this more, so more for me to explore there. Um, but through that process, you know, before the pandemic, I would say the last five to 10 years, I've had these like weird, random issues with my body that nobody could explain. One of them being like really treatment resistant acid reflux. Um, I was so you having, mean like you were trying medications, you were trying. Oh, I'd literally supplements. done everything. You were trying, right. And you yeah. were like, this was not getting fixed, right? No, not getting fixed. The only thing that fixed it was ongoing treatment with medication. Okay. Um, that's not meant to be a long-term medication, (laughs) right? It's meant to be like, uh, get things under control and then wean off it. And I just couldn't wean off it. I'd done all the things that they tell you, like tip your bed. And like, like my gastroenterologist was like, you are like the model patient. Like you're doing literally everything I ask people to do and it's not working. And it was this huge mystery. I was like, okay, weird. And you know, all these other little things that leading up to my diagnosis, I, I never saw them as things. I just how my body works. <laughs> um, and in retrospect, actually, I've had acid reflux my whole life. I just didn't, I didn't have a name for it. And because uh, I'm barely asymptomatic until it's really symptomatic <laughs> type of uh, reflux. Anyways, I had a lot of hypermobility in my body, um, which caused me a lot of grief as an active person. Um, so like injuries, injuries were yeah. a common thing for me, but I was also highly active and I worked in the fitness industry. So that was not to be not totally unexpected. And I did all the things like you know, chiro physio massage, all the things and, you know, was strong and all these wonderful things, but still having these difficulties. Like, oh, that's just how my body's made. And, you know, and then in three years ago, three, almost four years ago, I was just finishing up a swim outside at the lake. It was in the summertime, end of the summer. And I was stung by wasp. And the year prior, I'd actually, unfortunately, stepped on a wasp's nest when I was hiking. And I was stung like probably 15 to 20 times. Oh my God. And at the time, to- yeah, it was not pleasant. Very scary. <laughs> at the time, I mean, I certainly reacted, but to degree, I thought was like what everybody reacts. Like I got these. Like how would you wasps. know how someone normally reacts? To right, 15? exactly wasp sting right what's normal here I don't know (laughs) and so I got stung a lot and then I didn't really think much of it I didn't even really mention it to my doctor other than I'm like the welts took about a month to actually go away a month to six weeks before I looked like I wasn't like covered in welts uh which in the retrospect was like oh that's a bit of a flag (laughs) 
And then the second sting, I thought I was fine. It started welting up and I'm like, no problem. My friend, the lake, she's like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm totally fine. I'll get a welt. It'll be annoying, but I'll be fine. Fast forward about 10 minutes on the drive home and I'm in anaphylaxis and didn't had enough first aid under my belt that I was like, something's not okay. And I had that like moment of, I thought I just needed to get home and like get Benadryl into me or something. And then I realized this moment of, oh no, you need help now. Like you need 911. So I pulled over, called 911 and apparently I made no sense at all. I was quite deep in my, into anaphylaxis. My blood pressure, as I turned out, was tanking. Um, so when the paramedics got to me, my, my blood pressure was 60 over zero, which is, I didn't even think blood pressure could be that low. And I'm amazed that, and so were the paramedics that I actually wasn't out. I wasn't completely passed out at that point. Um, they got me onto the gurney, they got me in the rig and they administered two shots of epi. And it wasn't the first shot. I thought, okay, they'll give me epi, things will turn around, I'll be fine. And at this point, I don't know that I had enough cognition to know like what was happening. I knew I was having a reaction. I don't know, I didn't characterize it as anaphylaxis because I remember driving and looking in the mirror and going, my lips aren't puffing up, this isn't anaphylaxis. Right. Uh, just thinking I'm having a reaction, but it's not anaphylaxis. What else could be happening but knowing, knowing I needed help? Anyways, the first shot of epi didn't really do anything. <laughs> and of course, panic ensues. Second shot of, of epi brought me back down. And so the reaction weird, like weirdly turned around pretty quick. Of course, I ended up in the hospital and, and, you know, the doctor said, you should really talk to your doctor about seeing an allergist. That was a pretty severe reaction to have like that. And I want you to carry two EpiPens with you at all times for the rest of your life. And I was like, oh, okay, that's a lot as an outdoorsy person. And, uh, so I did see the allergist and she's like, because of the blood pressure drop, she said, Hey, um, I, I think we should, you know, uh, she did some blood work and I'm like, well, what's that? And she said, we'll talk about it. If it comes back positive, it, it probably won't. And as it turns out, it came back positive. And that was the first step on my diagnosis to something called indolent systemic mastocytosis, which is a mouthful. And most people have never heard of it. But essentially what it means is it was a two-year process to get diagnosed. I worked with a hematologist. I worked with an allergist. And what it means is that my body produces too many mast cells, um, which you can probably explain to your listeners it's better immune, than It's I an am. immune response cell. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So basically when I go into an allergic response, my body goes into an allergic response and a lot of things as I'm learning set it off more things than I thought. And I still am figuring out what's interesting about this disease is they don't totally understand it and what triggers people <laughs> and partly because everybody is different. And so because it's the, like the collection of symptoms can look so correct. completely different. Yeah. So like, like multi-system, multi-organ, right. Yeah. So basically too many mast cells, they're pretty much in every system. They impact mostly mucosal linings, but they're also in my bone marrow. That was the final complete diagnosis What was I had to have a bone marrow biopsy. I have skin issues. I have uh, mucosal lining issues. So think about any kind of gut kind of stuff. I have chronic headaches, acid reflux. It literally explains everything. <laughs> Well, and that was, that was another, some of the other symptoms that you were experiencing. Yeah. Which I didn't think were symptoms. 
and I was just I, like, oh, I, I have a tender gut. <laughs> yeah. And I think that it's interesting as well. And I just like, I, I don't know, I'm just going to like say it and then hopefully I can like land the plane yeah. and what I mean by this. But I, I don't think that this is part of intuitive eating, but I think that it often happens that there's a place along the way to learning how to eat intuitively where people are stuck. They end up stuck mm. in a place. Yeah where the only way to sort of eat intuitively and not be on a diet is to ignore certain aspects right. of their body. Right. Because yeah. any kind of like trying to put intention into working on something. And I don't think that this yeah. was the situation you were mm -hmm. necessarily in because you were, you know, you sort of talked about doing that extra training and going yeah. those extra steps. But I think it's very common for people who've just like read the book or heard the concept yeah. or, you know, taken on this intuitive eating body acceptance journey to get to a place where, you know, maybe they don't have a full-blown autoimmune condition or something happening, yeah. but that they have chronic ongoing health yeah. things and they actually don't feel able to manage them or deal with them because yeah. any kind of like baby stepping back into that feels like yeah. going on a diet. Totally. Well, and one of the things I think you're pointing to there that I think is often a huge misconception about intuitive eating and how it interplays, I think, really well with chronic conditions where you have to make where you don't have to, but you choose to make dietary changes or lifestyle related changes because that might support you is that, you know, at the core of intuitive eating is this authentic health Venn diagram where it's the integration of external health values, whatever you define for yourself as external health values and inner attunement. So it's like, what are the things that I want to try on in relation to my health that feel good to me, that feel grounded in my core values around health or being healthy ish. And Taking how do care I of my body based yes. on my access and time and money yes, and yes, yes. all, those, all things. those things, yeah. all those things. It's so multifaceted. And we get to decide as individuals, nobody outside of us. And this is the distinction between intuitive eating and diet cultures. In diet culture, those external health values are defined by diet culture. dictated to they're us. dictated. They're saying, you need to do this. It's like, somebody can give me a suggestion. Like I've worked with various health practitioners over the years and they can give me suggestions and I can try that on. Does that feel right for me in terms of my values? Okay, great. If I try that on in terms of my values, then how does my body respond to that? That's the inner attunement piece is like being connected with your body such that you're like, oh, I noticed that when I eat these foods, and this has been part of my process in terms of the integration, when I eat these foods, I have a wicked headache for two or three days that is very untouchable by like Tylenol and all the normal things I would do for like a tension headache. It's a different type of a headache that I get when I have a response, very flu-like, but it's not the flu. And so, oh, that's really interesting data. That's really interesting information. So now that can be informed part of my external health values is like those foods seem to trigger reactions. So that's a food I'm not going to choose to have unless I choose to have it but I'm willing to take those consequences. It's like, yeah. you know, like having too many glasses of wine. I know the consequences, like I'm going to have, you know, not feel yeah. great. The and next sometimes day. I do it anyway. Yeah. And sometimes <laughs> we might do it anyways. And that's okay. Again, that's that healthy ish. It's like, we get to, dis it's autonomy at the end of the day. It's like, mm. how do I choose to feel in my body? What do I want to 
how do I want to relate to these things? Yeah. And I've always been really open to, so I, first of all, I want to say absolutely, totally agree. I've shared that Venn diagram in <laughs> so many my programs and <laughs> yeah. newsletters. And yeah. I don't think everybody gets that yeah. really fully understands the two circles. Yeah. I think also like, I've always been really honest about the fact that this healthy-ish approach that I'm taking is part of intuitive eating and yeah. it's part of competent eating that I studied with Ellen yes. Satter. Like it's not like it's not in there. I just think that it's something, it's an end of the spectrum. Like we had so much work to do in the dismantling of diet culture and toxic wellness culture, which also yep. dictates external expectations. Oh yes. Um, like it, we had so much work to do at that end of the spectrum that I just felt like no one was talking at this end of the spectrum. And Agreed. I think anyone, there are a lot of people who tried to, were kind of missing the mark often, yeah. if I'm really honest, mm-hmm. or were sometimes inappropriately judged for the conversation yeah. if they were getting it right. Because, right? Yeah. Because there was this huge, this is the divisiveness I'm talking about, like even yes. within intuitive eating, right? It's like, yeah. no, no guys, this is part of intuitive eating. Like, and we're going to talk about, I really want to get into yeah. some real specifics yeah. because this is the stuff I've shied away from talking about for fear of yeah. being categorized as not getting yeah. it or yeah. being diety or being a toxic wellness mm-hmm. person. But the reality is there are so many things conventional and alternative that do alter the way that we feel in our body yes. and our ability to manage our health. Yeah. And sometimes we need to do those things. And yeah. part of that Venn diagram is especially when you're going through something that was as, as intense mm-hmm. and quite frankly, life-threatening yeah. as you have gone through, yeah, you are going to be potentially more willing yeah. to make alterations to your 100%. food. And then yeah. I also just want to add to that um, because I have taught this when I have taught, I have a program um, that I'm not running right now, but it's called Redefining Health where I teach uh, health professionals. So, oh, cool. Yeah. Wellness for like uh, dietitians and holistic nutritionists and osteopaths yeah. and therapists and yeah. naturopaths and nurses, all, all of them. Um, and we talk about the fact that like, even when you have to make food choices or you maybe have to limit something or, it, you know, even if it's for a really good reason, mm-hmm. like a serious health condition, mm-hmm it still requires ongoing emotional support. So I want to say that's like the other side of this. Yes. Like, like yes. even if you have to cut out gluten because you have celiac disease, or yeah. we're going to talk about, you know, some yeah. of the food changes that you've had to make, like, even if it's for a really good reason, that doesn't mean it's necessarily easy on <sighs> your relationship yes. with food, right? Mm-hmm. So both sides of it, which is A, real, I think healthy-ish, genuine, authentic health means being able to take in information from the outside world and then experiment it, you know, line it up against your values and experiment with it in your body and figure out what's right for you. But then also, if you do find that there's something that you need, I think most people need a lot of support to sift through the details of that. A hundred percent. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more, you know, and as I have experimented with, well, maybe I'll just kind of explain kind of how I've experimented. So, you know, I mean, again, you could probably explain this better, but one of the things that is kind of thrown out there, I mean, one thing that we know is that someone with mastocytosis needs to, to avoid known triggers. So obviously flying buzzy things are things that I avoid with a lot of intention. I also have gone through 
um, desensitization towards my my two insects that I'm highly Where allergic to. Or you had to. some like micro exposure. Is that the idea? Exactly. Yeah. So I went, worked with my allergist and I had regular shots and now I have shots every six weeks and I will for the rest of my life. It will pair, I think it pairs down to every eight weeks, but that's where I'll be stuck for the rest of my life. And it's such a massive difference such that like I actually have been stung since I've gone through that and I, I don't react. Can we first of all just talk about how often you get stung by wasps? I know. Um, I'm an avid outdoors person like, and, like, and it's a little bit ridiculous. I'm like, okay, that's a lot of wasps. And I went I like, I've had so, one like one sting I know. in the past well, like 30 years of my life. Well, this is the thing I got to, so I'm 44. I, I got to 41 and I'd never really been stung before. Right. And then okay. I got stung 15 times, okay, which fair enough. part of what my allergist said is like that massive number of stings kind of primed my body for like a massive reaction. Yeah. So that's part of what was going on. Anyways, yeah. very funny. It is true. I was like, like not I to make light to of the situation, the wasp? but you're like a wasp whisperer. <laughs> I, well, now I'm, now I'm very much like a yeah. wasp bubble. Um, <laughs> So, you know, we avoid the known triggers. The trick is we don't really know what the triggers are. And so because it's systemic, it's one of those, you know, one of the years ago, I had a naturopath explain kind of intolerance to me as like the bucket. I don't know if you use this in it at all, but like my body has a certain amount of capacity as like a bucket. And like once too many drops go in the bucket of things that my body's struggling to process and deal with, the bucket overflows and then it has symptoms. Yeah, no, and I like so, that analogy. It's like, it's not all or yeah. nothing. It's not no, like it's every not. bite of gluten spirals yeah. you into infinity, but it's like yeah, a lot of gluten paired with a lot of X and a lot of Y and a Correct. lot of Z and it eventually culminates yeah. in like yes. an outcome that's much larger than the individual bites. Correct. Themselves. Right. Correct. And so the only thing I've identified that is like a huge, like boom, zero to a hundred reaction for me is yellow jackets and hornets, white faced hornets and yellow jackets. Okay. Those are the two bad guys for me. Beyond that, it's really drops in the bucket. And I haven't yet fully determined what all the drops in the bucket are. For some people with mastocytosis, it's environmental stuff. For some people, it's food-related stuff. For some people, it's stress. For, you know, for most of us, it's a combination of all of those things. And so it's a kind of a process and an, almost an art form to like figure out what are the things, you know, what, what potentially could be causing reaction and what I'm willing to give up. Like what are the bucket bu drops in the bucket that I'm like not willing to give that up? versus willing to give that. Can up. you give us an example? Yes, totally. So I am also celiac. Oh, you are. Okay. So I, I am just, just using add, gluten. Okay. No, but so it's funny. So I'm also, but, but I, also I also wonder, like, there's a part of me, that naturopathic mm -hmm. part of me that wants to connect everything. That's like, maybe if this has been going on forever, that you're not making that enzyme because there's this other thing that's been happening in your gut for your whole life. Yeah. I think right. so. Okay. I think they're abs. I, I I land in the camp of like, oh, it's all connected. You just haven't medicine hasn't figured out how it's all connected, but it's for sure all connected. And you know the fact that my stress is high right now, and like all those other things. So stress is definitely a trigger for me. Something I have to manage. I have to make sure that I'm exercising regularly. That I'm taking quiet time. That I'm doing as best as I can to do that. I mean, but there's only so much I can do, right? I'm doing my master's right now and running a business and I'm a mom, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So that's one that's always I'm aware of, but 
some of the ones that are more obvious. So I worked with a dietitian who had some expertise in this area right after I was diagnosed. I'm like, okay, I need someone who also had some knowledge about intuitive eating. I'm like, I have, I want to like lean into this exploration and I want to learn a little bit about what foods might be triggering me and without being overly restrictive. Cause I didn't want to get back into a, a highly restrictive pattern of eating that, that triggered all of my uh, disordered eating, eating disorder thinking. And so we looked at the highest histamine foods. So again, just explain the, a little bit of the background. So foods that are high in, the argument is that foods higher in histamine are going to trigger more mast cells because that's part of what they right. do. Yeah. So high histamine foods, the highest ones are things like really processed meats, um, really proteins of any variety that are the more processed and the, and like leftovers, for example, the more kind of time they've had to kind of, um, you probably can do that to uh, not the word what I'm going to look looking for. So I almost want to say ferment, but like, um, yes. Yeah. 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 So, so if they are, if they've like the, the more days of leftovers, the worse the histamine load is going to be on that food. Um, fermented foods, particularly bad for obvious reasons. Then, yeah. um, there are just certain foods that are inherently high in histamine. And it's interesting because fermented foods, sorry to, to interrupt you, yeah. but they're like so hot in the health. So hot right, right now. now. So good for your gut. Have all the yeah. kombucha, yeah, drink all the, exactly. eat all the kimchi. Right. And yeah. I love fermented foods and I love, I love pickles. So it was like, Oh, but just a great example of like, yeah. if, you're adhering to just external ideals about health and yeah. wellness, you could continue just to eat these things without any totally. inner attunement to the fact that like, Oh, Oh, that's actually making me way actually, worse. Yeah. 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 So the other thing I should say is one of my other, my other kind of predominant symptoms is I have um, pitting edema. So I have edema all over my body. So swelling like water. Yeah, retention. So let's explain what that is. So it's yeah, swelling, yeah. So yeah. water retention all over my body. Um, even in my face, if I'm in a flare, my face puffs up almost like, um, someone who's taking like prednisone. So I look really puffy and like, that's, I know I'm in a flare if that's what's going on for me, but pitting means that when I press down, like on my leg, it doesn't bounce back. I have like a little divot in my leg. And so that's another way I can kind of notice like, Oh, something I've been exposed to is triggering my body. I'm having more fluid retention, which I actually think is just my body's, it's a rare symptom in a rare disease, but I think it's my body's way of like diluting the chaos that my body is dealing with. Right. And so for me, it's like a sec, almost like a secondary symptom. Like my first symptoms are I get a headache and my acid reflux flares, and then I have, and gut issues. Those are like the first things that the first line that happens. And then my edema will be like a secondary, like coming out of the flare, my body's processing it, it's trying to deal with it. And then all my body will re regulate itself. So some of the foods I've identified that are like hard nose are canned tuna, um, frozen, even if it's like, but cooked frozen shellfish of any variety. Um, and leftovers is, is kind of like a no-go mm -hmm. they say ground meat is also a flag I'm still on the fence about ground meat um ground meat leftovers not a great idea for me uh fermented foods so no more kombucha for me um but like pickles for example like a straight up like dill pickle is one I'm not willing to give up 
Right. Like I just, you get a craving every once in a while and I just want a pickle. So I'm going to have a pickle, but I try to like have like a Bix pickle. That's not going to be like a highly fermented pickle, not like your deli pickle. That's going to be like, it's been fermenting for a longer time. Yeah. 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 Um, I have so many questions in there. The one thing that I want to say is that that bucket analogy, I think is fantastic Mm -hmm. for describing intolerances, but I think it's also a really, it just occurred to me as you were talking like in, in the, in the, in a broader, grander sense of the, you know, idea, it's kind of true for most of our health issues. Like, unless you're dealing with like a frank anaphylaxis, like, I think we get into really rigid all or nothing thinking where it's like, you know, you ate, I don't know, a peach one time and it caused a reaction. I can never eat peaches again, but you forget that you ate that peach after a weekend of like stress and too much alcohol and not enough sleep. And, you know, and the reality is that most of us, we do have this bucket and we can handle, handle so many drops. Totally. Totally. And the, and the thing that's frustrating about that is that our brains love absolutes. They sure do. It's so much easier if it was just this exact science, but like you said, it's like an art and a science and a adventure and exploration and it's it's always changing so this is the thing so one of the things I have identified is unfortunately alcohol so I'm a hard no on alcohol alcohol absolutely puts me into a flare I feel horrible and I have for many years very histamine and fermented yeah 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 and it just it's just genuinely not worth it I would rather have so many other types of beverages and so that's a hard no for me any type of alcohol um Yeah. And so like, that's like an example of like a hard no, like it's just, it's not worth it. Um, There's something else you said in there that I was like, oh yes, that it'll come back to me. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that it's just interesting to think about it like that. And knowing that, um, you know, you're dealing with um, a health condition where there's some really interesting and clear signals when your body is starting to get overwhelmed, when that bucket is getting too full but even those of us who aren't in a state like that can be exploring yes. what are the signs and the symptoms for you yeah. when your bucket starts to get too full. Yeah. Well, and you know, as you're saying that, I just took a really wonderful grad level course with uh, Dr. Hillary McBride on embodiment within psychotherapy. And it was like a mind blower course. And one of the things obviously we talk about within helping people be back in their bodies is that so much of our culture teaches us and trains us to live from the head up, from the Mm -hmm. neck up. And so, you know, I have crossed paths with clients, with friends over the years are like, I can eat anything. My body feels fine. And you're like, "Mm, but does it like, does it genuinely like, are you just so disconnected from your body that you don't feel? So I think part of this, especially with like a chronic condition is part of it is that increasing the attunement to your body so you can notice, like, that's where I'm like, I'm so grateful for having the practice of intuitive eating in my back pocket and have that body attunement because it's enabling me to be like, oh, so all those headaches I was having, those are connected to something. I always brush them off on, oh, maybe I haven't had enough water today, or maybe I, you know, um, I had some gluten or maybe I, I'm just stressed. I've been sitting at the computer too long, but now I'm like, Oh, it could be all of those things, but it also could be 
that I've had a food that is triggering my system and my buckets overflowing. Yeah. So, okay. I just want to say something funny about that. So I want to just say just quickly though, this idea of living from the head up for, for anyone listening, who's Mm -hmm. like, I don't know what that means for me. What that really means is all about taking in information, right? It's about using only our brain to make decisions. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes, And this is the place where people get into a lot of confusion and like roller coastering and trying a million things and nothing's working. And it's because there's not this there's not this integration with the yes. body. It's all about yes. living, like you said, from the neck up. But I just yeah. want to say this interesting kind of funny thing. So as we record this, we're recording it before the holidays. And um, next week, I have an episode going live with Sarah Jenks. And, um, you know, part of this healthy-ish conversation, a really important part of it is hearing about other people's um ideas about health. You know, if there's anything that comes on the show that feels like really frankly fat phobic, um, I'm going to address it. I'm going to talk about it. But unfortunately there are threads of these things in many people's journeys, because we are, like you said, at the very beginning of this humans who were raised in a diet culture (laughs) world. Right. And I think it's really important to start to have conversations and hear other people's health journeys and what they are willing to do like what what jives with them what aligns with their values when it comes to taking care of their own health what they're not willing to give up you know where that line is I think we need to hear that many times from many different people yes um so anyway she said I'm gonna ask you this question at the end right of the episode so spoiler alert a little bit but (laughs) I asked this question which is what's something that makes you roll your eyes so hard and so she said um people who say I'm fine with gluten. I eat it all the time. And at first it's so interesting because I, as a human being, am learning how to navigate this healthy-ish conversation as well. And there were a couple of things in that recording of that episode where I was like, shoot, is this too pokey? Is this too, like it felt Mm. a bit healthist or something to me because Usually, you know, one of my eye rolls in the past has been people who blame everything on gluten, right? Like my yes. dog's misbehaving. He probably ate gluten, you know, like it, it, you yeah. know, it's just, yeah. but upon reflection, I left it in the episode because I yeah. do actually think that there's a kernel of truth in there, right? Like, because what she followed up that statement with was, but they're constantly telling me that they're exhausted every single day yeah. and they have headaches right. every afternoon. And right. it's like, <laughs> I, I think what she was really alluding to is this unwillingness to be curious yeah. when it comes to how we feel in our bodies and how we're taking yeah. care of ourselves. And, and I would just argue that most people just don't know how to do that. It's one or the yeah. other. They're completely right. attached to the idea that gluten is causing yeah. all their problems and will fix right. everything, or they have to be in complete rejection of that. Well, it's these extremes that our culture, this black and white, this binary that our culture loves, like our brains love, genuinely love to like categorize and organize ideas. Like this is good. This is bad. I do this. I don't do this, et cetera, et cetera. So it's this idea that, you know, both and, (laughs) you know, like both and what if there is this continuum of a relationship with these things? What if you know, maybe you are having a reaction to gluten, maybe it's not gluten. And then the other thing I would invite is that sometimes we resist like, oh, I'm fine with gluten, because there's something else that we're like, just not about the gluten that we're not willing. There's another story we have about the gluten. It's like, I can't give out gluten because I, 
that would take away all my beautiful family ways of celebrating, or I can't give up gluten because the idea of that is just too overwhelming and too stressful. And I'm already maxed out, or I can't give up gluten because, you know, I don't want to be with one of those people. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, like, and so there's all these, like, what's, I get curious again, that's the psychotherapy piece coming out in me. Like what's behind that resistance to exploring that and being curious about that without demonizing gluten, is it possible that make, we can connect this dot, the dots? Like, oh, I, I hear that you have headaches and I hear that you have, you know, brain fog and I hear that you are, you know, tired every afternoon. Like, I'm wondering what it would be like for you to like, just explore if there's a food relationship there. Is there something that you're eating or not eating, drinking or not drinking that might be contributing to that? And can we be curious about that? Yeah. It's not a forever thing. It's just like, let's try this on, which is very much how I've had to approach all of the food stuff for myself is like, can I just, this isn't forever. I'm going to try on, you know, not having tuna and see if I, I don't get headaches. Oh, interesting. I don't get a headache. And every time I try it again, I have a wicked headache. Okay. That's pretty clear to me that my body's giving me a signal and that I don't want to have that food anymore. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I think like, we keep using gluten as the example just because it keeps yeah, yeah, coming yeah. up, but it could apply to anything, any honestly, food. It could, yeah. any food. And I think it could also apply to movement. Um, it could apply to supplements. It could apply to sleep any, or lack thereof. Sleep, yeah. yeah. It could apply anything to anything that you do. Yeah. Right, right, right. This, and it's just about this, um, having this general curiosity and willingness yes. to experiment and to yeah. allow things to change and to ebb yeah. and to flow, you know, a big yeah. piece of healthy-ish is understanding that we're cyclical beings. Um, yes. I've yes, talked yes, about yes. it before, but like I have a yeah. friend who for years was totally gluten and dairy free because she thought she just couldn't have any of it. And then through our conversations and explorations, she's like, you know, what's so funny. I really realized gluten really affects me terribly right before my period arrives. And the rest of the month, oh my gosh, isn't that wild? Yes. Like, yeah, there are so many interesting things that affect yeah. the way that we metabolize yeah. food and the way we manage movement and the way it all ends up in our body. Yeah. But I do think that as changeable as it all is, I do genuinely believe because I've seen it over and over that we can get to see patterns in our own body. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the ticket there is like starting to understand what are the patterns in our own bodies and remembering too, that it's in this moment in time, that's the pattern in my body and that might change. And that's hard for people too, because like, what do you mean? I figure it out and then it's going to change. And like, welcome (laughs) to being a human, especially a woman, Uh, you know, that we have to acknowledge that, like you said, we are cyclical, but not only just on that kind of monthly cyclical, but over the lifetime, we go through phases through our lifetime. Like the patterns that I had before, like people said this to me and I didn't believe it, but the patterns that were true before 40 are no longer true post 40. Yeah. And so I think that's part of the resistance to taking a more healthy ish approach or exploring health without these kind of rules and guidelines and like do this don't do that and all these binaries that people in diet and wellness culture love that's part of the resistance is like I just need the simplicity of like do this don't do this make you know right wrong do like that all those binaries it's somehow safer and this approach of really tuning into your body 
noticing how you feel, being curious, trying things on. It's a lot less sexy. I'm not going to lie. Like, yeah. And it's, and it requires more time and effort. And I think that part of my, you know, in the actual, I think healthy-ish as a concept, what I'm trying to teach people is a framework for this exploration and curiosity, right. And providing examples and, um, you know, how do I explore this? How do I challenge some of the thoughts in my head to see what's problematic? How do I connect to what's true? How do I know if I'm in my external values or if I'm getting pulled out of them? And then in the actual work that I do one-on-one with people, it's how do we attach some more tangibles because people need them. This I think is the other missing piece, right? And like, if you have to revisit them in a year because these tangibles are no longer working for you, we can quickly revisit them and alter things up, you know? But I think that- that's been another kind of missing piece for a lot of people is that recognition that some brains absolutely need some, some structure and tangible, but if they don't have it, you know, like I joke sometimes, like I'm here to help people eat in an intuitive way when they hate intuitive eating, like (laughs) when they, when when they've, you know, never enjoyed or been able to connect to intuitive eating. And that's been true for like, a pretty solid percentage of the people that I work with. So, and mostly it's just because um, their lives are too chaotic or stressful and there's nothing they can do about it right now. Sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Or it could be neurodivergence. That means that they connect with their body very, very, very differently. Yeah. Or it could be that the harm from eating disorders and past diet culture experiences has been so big yeah, that it's very difficult to get over, right? Like it's just, yeah. anyway, just this yeah. idea of pairing these things up, but understanding totally. that at its truest, truest, deepest place, healthy-ish is really just a framework for exploration. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. And to yeah. be curious and like, and I think one of the things that I think that gets lost in all of this is this idea that within that approach, we can't also have some structure like in intuitive eating. I think people think that they can't have routines that they can't have structure that they just have to like be footloose and fancy free and like eat on whims. And like, no, I'm a very systematic eater. I eat pretty much the same thing for breakfast every day. I figured out what works for my body and what makes me feel satisfied. And I, you know, tweak it based on what I'm feeling that day, but pretty much it's the same ish thing. And then, you know, lunches again. So for me, especially with a health condition, that is actually hugely freeing. I figured out that this food, these, this combination of foods doesn't tick my body off. Yeah. It doesn't overflow so that bucket. Roll forward. Let's keep yeah. having those things. Okay, great. Like one thing off of my brain so I can focus on other things. Yeah. You know, love it. Yeah. Okay. Quick last three questions that I'm going to let okay. you go. Thank you so much for all of this. I loved it. Okay. Yeah. First thing, what is just one thing? And it could be like, a food or a practice or a just, it can be anything that pops into your mind that is just making you feel really amazing in your body right now. Mm. Swimming. Swimming. I just, I could swim and swim and swim and swim and swim and swim. I love it. It makes my heart so happy. Yes. The spoiler alert question, anything (laughs) that is currently making you roll your eyes so hard when it comes to the health conversation? The idea that there can be like, trends in like how we eat right no just a hard no on that 
your body uh, is not a trend. <laughs> right, right. How we eat and how our bodies look, right? Like oh yeah, like how, like how our bodies look, but like, like this body oh, like, shape is back you know, in. This it's type like, of know. dieting is, this type of food is trending. It's like, what? Like, that's just weird. Yeah. Uh, anything that you do eat, participate in, that from the outside, from like conventional health standards, people would be like, that is not healthy, but makes you just feel amazing. Oh, Ooh, that's such a juicy question. Uh, I, I, the first thing that comes to my mind is like uh, Netflix. Yeah, I don't know why, but I was just totally, I was like, she's going to say TV. <laughs> I, was, I don't know why. I, I, like, that's I was my, intuiting that from you. Yeah, you're intuiting. That. That's my wind down in the evening, which goes against everything that they say to do for sleep hygiene is like, that's my, I, like the half an hour to 45 minutes before I go to bed. I watch a Netflix show with my husband. Joy, what are you watching? Tell us yeah. what you're watching right, right now. Right now we're watching The Crown because oh. it has a new season out, yeah. um, which is kind of making me angry, but. <laughs> oh, really? I haven't watched oh. it yet. We're finishing up some working moms and then I'm going to oh, get, bless. and then Love I'm going to get, show. yeah, yeah. And then we're going to get into that. We just yeah. talked about it last night. Okay. Amazing. I also again. just um, binge watched, uh, what's the other show? I just binge watched this. So good. Oh, snap. Firefly Lane, the fight with um, Catherine Heigl. I haven't seen yes. it, but I saw the ad. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Amazing. Oh. Binged it. It was amazing. Thanks for being here. Such a great conversation. Oh. Thanks for contributing. Yeah. Thanks for all you're doing to shift the narrative in intuitive eating and relating to our bodies. I think it's really important. Yeah. High five. High five. All right. That's it for me today. That was a really fun episode. I really love talking to Jillian. Um, so fun to talk with someone who has the same name and also the same outlook on health. <laughs> uh, don't forget to follow me on Instagram at food freedom body love. If you want to come on over there and tell me what you think of the episode, you know, hop into my DMS, tell me what you think. If you have questions, if there's more you want to talk about, let me know there. And you can find Jillian at superu.ca. Have an amazing day.